listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 88 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the Wade Lee's edition, as Thomas Kenzora puts it. And is there anything better to welcome in a new college football season than honoring Aussie punters? Isn't that right, Thomas? Absolutely. I mean, I can't think of anything better that will get you excited for a season seeing some Aussie rugby-style punting at every school across college football. Including uh, Texas. Yeah. So Maryland and Texas will combine for two Aussie punters. Oh, that's going to be so much great punting. It's like Texas is going to be an honorary part of the Big Ten. Looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to the fact that we're doing a podcast and it's not just us two for once. That's a novel concept. And for these previews, we often get a big cast of characters, and we have one here. First, Jared Goldstein is here. Hello, Jared. What's going on? How are you? I'm excited for Maryland football. That's a rarity. I don't think I've ever been excited about Maryland football as much as I am right now. Well, keep getting excited. I think you should be more excited than you are, maybe. Uh, Really? I should be more optimistic about Maryland football. Well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll have to be, considering the other three teams that I like and support very much are playing like junk right now. So, such is the way it goes. And from the annals of Testudo Times history, Ryan Connors has joined us for this football preview show. Ryan, what's it like covering the Big Ten from the greatest Big Ten market known to man, Atlanta? You know, Matt, every time we do this, I I try to explain I'm... It doesn't matter where I am because I'm not going to be actually going to games, but our office is here in Atlanta, so that's why I'm in Atlanta. I know this. It's a joke that I like. It's a funny running joke because, I mean, who, who could have ever thought that a great Big Ten market would have been Atlanta? Could have well, I mean, we serve the Big Ten market. I know, it's but you're not... covering them from Atlanta. It's fine. This running joke will get old very quickly. Although I should say there is a place – uh, right by the Braves Nude Stadium, north of Atlanta, called the Terrapin Brewing Company. And when I went there in June, I was very surprised to hear that it is not the official Maryland bar in the Atlanta region, which is annoying to me. And, Ryan, we have to change that. Um, well, it's like – it's a brewing company down here, I think. I know, I've, I I've been – I've been uh, – I don't know if I've been to any – you know, they serve it everywhere around here, actually. It's, it's kind of weird. And it, 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 certainly, it certainly made me feel a little bit weird when I'm going to SunTrust Park and there's this giant turtle and terrapin staring right at me. And I'm like, how is this not the Maryland bar? And when I'm done with it, it will be the Maryland bar. So I'm down in Atlanta enough to make that happen. We're going to make that happen, Ryan. If there are right. Rutgers supporters clubs in Atlanta, and they are, and they do exist, then we got to make a Maryland one happen. If, uh, if you I, – I will help you for sure. Good. I'll be down in October. We're going to make that happen. Regardless right. of this, let's start by talking about this new season, which is starting amazingly on Saturday against Texas. I can't believe it's already here. And we can't start a discussion about Maryland football without talking about the quarterbacks. And Thomas, as we have talked about for the last couple of podcasts this month, it is Tyrell Pigram who is starting. In the end, it's not a huge surprise considering all the indications were that he was going to be the guy in the end. And you just wrote a good piece about how this ended up happening and how Pigram ended up winning the job. So tell us a little bit about how it happened, why it happened, and what this means for the team going forward. So, you know, Tyrell Pigram, he played in 11 games last year, uh, which, you know, it, it gave him a bit of an edge. It wasn't, you know, the difference, obviously, but 
give him a bit of an edge heading into the offseason. He, you know, Walt Bell said as much today. He played last year before he was ready. Um, and I feel like everyone, you know, I, I feel like everyone saw that. You know, he, he could run, and his, his arm wasn't anywhere near where it needed to be. Um, and so he spent, you know, his whole offseason uh, getting his arm as close as possible to where he needed to be. And apparently uh, that was that was enough to hold off every other uh, quarterback competing for the job. So far, it's it's all it's all talk that Maryland is confident in Pigram and you know even then you can see Hill and you know all, all of that stuff. But I'm buying a little bit of it. I'm, I'm you know I think we get a lot of people you know in our comment section and whatnot just talking about you know how he can't throw. You know, it's like, oh, I have no faith in this guy. He just can't throw. As if a guy can't improve pretty drastically even uh, from his freshman to his sophomore year. And just from, from being around all that, that's that's what it seems has happened. And it was interesting because they, they said forever that they were going to wait as long as they could to make their decision. And they ended up uh, telling Tyrell that he was the starter uh, – you know, over a week in advance, um, which, which means I guess that, you know, they, they were pretty, they were pretty confident in him that, you know, he was the guy. There's more confidence in him, I guess, than we might have thought. I mean, throughout the spring and through the spring game and up until really recently, we all thought it was Caleb Henderson's job to lose, but then there's injuries and then there's good fortune for Pigram and he had more experience than anybody else on the roster. And do you think in the end, I know you don't think it was experience, but when you're going up against the teams that Maryland's going to go up against this year, don't you think that experience plays a little bit of a role as to why they're not going to give the keys to the car to a freshman for a second straight year unless they absolutely have to? I think that's absolutely part of it. I think, um, you know, their best chance to win the game, you know, in the season opener would be with the guy who's been in, you know, environments like this before. And... Um, th- that that's Bigram because he has a full season under his belt. Even if it wasn't, you know, he, if he wasn't the starter all year, he only started one game. Even if he wasn't what he, you know, ready essentially for for that stage, he got that stage. And I think um, that that did play a part of it for sure. But but at the same time, uh, if you know, if if Kasim was better, you know, they would start Kasim and. I don't know who's going to be better a couple weeks from now. Kasim's looked better every time I've seen him. But but right now, it looks like Pigram is the best guy. And I think when you add experience on top of that, uh, you know, he, he is the right guy for Texas. Certainly seems to be. Ryan, we saw a lot of him last year. Again, he started one game, and that was not a game that we really wanted him to start. That was a game against Minnesota, and it was bad for everyone involved, on Maryland's side at least. But... There is the chance that he could improve his arm, and he has the athleticism that makes it very difficult to game plan against, especially when you have the running backs that Maryland has. So seeing Pigram now, Maryland never starts the same quarterback in all 12 games, so it's highly unlikely that Pigram starts every game. But for now, how much of a gap do you think there is between him and Kasim Hill, who is pretty evidently the number two at the moment? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing was interesting because yeah, I think going into the year, we all like it's it's always hard to kind of gauge this thing because we're just not in watching all the practices. I know Thomas and Jared get to watch a couple of them, 
But, you know, I think we're all like, oh, well, Caleb Henderson was the highest rated recruit. And that's just not always how it works out, especially with injuries and whatnot. And Pigram, I think, if there's a, if there's going to be a time to start him, it, it definitely is right now. Starting a true freshman on the road at Texas in his very first game is that's just terrifying and Caleb Henderson is hurt or not ready or I I don't know maybe you guys do but uh I don't know I think until until we see Pigram in the in a game we're still just not really going to know um I imagine his throwing abilities still aren't amazing but have gotten better and like Thomas said I mean he was out there it was obvious that he wasn't ready to play last year and that's certainly not his fault I mean he he came here as a guy who was a better runner than a passer and it was going to take some time and yeah I mean well, I don't know we'll see what happens and Jared now we have to ask about Kasim Hill because we all assume he's the future of the program he's one of the highest rated quarterback recruits to come to Maryland in many many years and there will no doubt be calls not just in our comment section but from all Maryland fans to start Kasim Hill at some point if it goes wrong, even if it goes wrong against Texas, which is completely okay because Texas is better than Maryland. So I'm going to ask a question that's semi-rhetorical but semi-open-ended as well. At what point do you think we see Kasim Hill this year? Because I think it's pretty evident that we're going to at some point. We saw Tyrell Pigroom a lot last year. We even saw Max Bortenschlager last year at a game at Nebraska, which no one saw coming. At what point do you think we see Kasim Hill this year? Because I think the feeling around at least all of us is that we're going to see him at some point. Uh, well, Maryland, I guess, while they open the road or open the season rather on the road against Texas, they do have the luxury of coming back home the next week to play Towson at home. Um, and so I would expect that game to go kind of like the game against Howard went last year. Um, nothing against Towson. That's just kind of how football works. Um, and uh, so I would imagine we'd see Kasim Hill as early as week two um, in that game, probably in, in some second half, fourth quarter, whatever action, garbage time late in the game. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know or if we'll see him start this season. I think my gut is that probably will at some point. Um but when we'll see him, period, I would say as soon as week two. And then when you answered that, I said I should have rephrased that to exclude Towson because that's going to be a game where Maryland will be up by 50 in the third quarter. And most of what happens then is therefore kind of not irrelevant but won't mean as much to the greater sample. I still think we're going to end up seeing him in garbage time in some of the games come November when Maryland's getting blown out by really good teams because the schedule in November is just absolutely ridiculous. And there will be times, maybe against Wisconsin or Ohio State, that we'll see him as well. But, Thomas, since you are our Caleb Henderson expert, I should ask you this. Are we going to see him at any point this year? Will he be healthy enough to play this year? And if he is, is he now, like, third on the depth chart after, for so long, we all expected him to be first? I think he will come back as third. I think that's that's probably, it sounded, you know, when he got hurt, it seemed like he was kind of pretty much neck and neck with Pigram. Um, it seemed to me like he was a little ahead of him at the time. Um, it seemed to a lot of people that way as well. Um, and, you know, throughout the summer, they were kind of even. And then, you know, Kasim Hill came in. And so, yeah, I, I would think, you know, you, you wouldn't just 
hand a guy a starting job or even a backup job just as soon as he shows that he's healthy. I mean, he has to show that that he's re- ready to play meaningful football games. And so I think we'll see him come back. He might even be fourth string behind Bordenschlager, uh, like, you know, at least in practice while while they're working that out. But I, I still think there there's a lot of different guys and there's still not a ton of separation between them. And so I think we'll see all of them at some point or other. Um, I don't know an, a ton about Caleb's health and where he's at right now um, and how long it'll take him to be 100%, if ever. Uh, but but I, I do think we see him. I think we see Bortenschlager, um, you know, in a capacity beyond holding because he is a, he's the holder on the depth chart. Oh, is he? Um, That's the one part yeah. of the two deep I must have missed. Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta check those special teams. Actually, uh, I, I found it interesting. I wrote this whole thing about like who's gonna be returning kicks and punts for Maryland, and they never had Ty Johnson back there in in camp, and suddenly Ty Johnson is their number one kick returner with DJ Moore returning punts. Well, that makes sense. I can see that. Well, well speaking yeah. of now with the now that you just allowed me to go to this transition to the skill players. And we talk about Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison, or the only thing that Tom Herman has said this week that I paid attention to, the presidential backfield, which is a very good quote of his. Lorenzo Harrison, I think you mentioned last week, was some health issues. He was on the sidelines during that open part of practice, but he's listed high up on the two-deep, so we're going to expect him to play. And then in general, what stood out to you about the two-deep for the skill positions, and what do we expect from them this year as the running backs are really kind of static? They haven't changed too much from last year, but there's a lot of change at wide receiver. Well, actually, there is a lot of change at running back. I mean, well, they lost Johnson and Harrison, obviously. I mean, even there, I mean, it's 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 there's three freshmen replacing three graduated seniors. True. Um, so, so from there, only three guys were listed. Jake Funk was the third guy. Um, he's a good runner, apparently a pretty good pass protector as well. Uh, Walt you can Bell see why that might be necessary. Yeah, Walt Bell called him the best pass protector in their backfield. So. That's that's probably why you'll see him a lot. Anthony McFarland, Javon Leak, Teon Fleet Davis were not listed on the two deep. You'll see at least two of them. Walt Bell says like the way his system works, you need at least five guys to to be rotating. Even though um, you know Johnson and Harrison have established themselves in a way that they'll probably get the most of them between the two. But it'll it'll be interesting to see how the backup running back spots shape up um especially if Harrison isn't 100 healthy yeah uh I I think he is at this point but you know I haven't been at practice in a little while and I won't be again for a while so I'm I'm led to believe but based on just what I saw on the depth chart that they're they're fully confident that Henderson will play or Harrison will play (laughs) you wish Caleb Henderson was fully healthy to play Thomas we know you have some biases there it's okay we all do Uh, hey can I can I ask a question? Yes, you actually? can. So um, I, you know, right before this podcast, I looked through, you know, what pe- the comments from Walt Bell at the uh, press conference today, all that stuff. Doesn't seem like the name Anthony McFarland's been getting thrown around that often. Do you guys like? Is he still recovering from the injury he suffered last year, and or are they trying to just not mention him ever, and then? unveil him to the world and uh you know run all over texas or something uh i think he's i think he's in it might be neither 
I mean, they they did talk about him some in camp. You know, the players would talk about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we didn't get the coordinators throughout our practice. So we didn't get to ask them, right. but um, I think, you know, I think all the freshmen are healthy, but they haven't done too much to separate themselves from each other. Um, you know, and McFarland hasn't done a ton to separate himself from, from Leak or Fleet Davis at this point. And so I guess just for, for purposes of the two deep and not wanting to put all of them on there, you just put Jake Funk as the third guy. But we'll see certainly McFarland, and I think we'll probably see McFarland as a, a slot receiver as well. Right. Jared, what do you think about this? Because McFarland is a name that we all know because of his recruiting ranking and how much of a talented recruit he was and how much of a get he was. What do you think we see from him, even if it's not early on, what do you think we eventually see from him this season, since he's a name that's going to be on the lips of almost every Maryland fan if running backs do struggle? Well, I think uh, what, what Walt Bell said earlier today that, that Tom was kind of touched on is that uh, his system, he, he needs five running backs in his system. And, you know, with, with Funk, Harrison, and Johnson, plus the three freshmen, you've got six. So, um I think that that all of those backs will see time this year. I would imagine that most of them, if not all of them, would probably even be on the field in some capacity at Texas. Um, I think that Anthony McFarland is a guy who's so dynamic with the ball in his hands, going back to watching high school film, um, that it's impossible to keep him off the field as long as he's 100% healthy, um, and we've had no indication thus far that he hasn't fully recovered. Um, so, you know, he, he's a guy that will line up kind of all over the formation. He'll be in the backfield as a running back in the slot. He'll kind of be all over the place. And and I think that, you know, last year, those depth charts, the two deeps, seem to go overboard some kind sometimes with with all the you know this person or this person or these seven other people seven um, co-starters yeah so i think maybe that this is kind of the other side of that same token where you know everybody knows about Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison and and Jake Funk is the only guy left um from last year who's a returning running back so those are the three who are listed. Those are the three, you know, people know who they are. So just list them for now. And and I think that this too deep that we see right now could even be very different than the one we see next week heading into the Towson game. I wouldn't be surprised by that in any way, shape, or form. And that's how DJ Durkin and Walt Bell have operated for a long time. So I'll start with you, Jared, on the wide receivers. Old faces, DJ Moore. Old but new faces, Jaquil Vey. Tavon Jacobs is listed as a starter. He's here. We didn't see him much last year. This is a wide receiver group that's had a lot of changes, too. Even, you could argue, more changes than the running backs. If Tyrell Pigram's a better passer, and we expect him to be, what are we seeing from wide receivers this year outside of DJ Moore, who's kind of a known quantity at this point? Right, yeah. So you know know what you're getting out of DJ Moore. Um, I think that uh, a guy that everybody... Um, should be and and probably is looking out for is DJ Turner, uh, the sophomore out of Demathe. He didn't play a whole lot last year, um, but he had a great spring game and kind of all the you know the, the little bit of the buzz out of the the receivers um, from camp 
is that you know he's having a good camp and and he's you know those those Dematha kids always seem to find a way to to produce and and play really well. So I think he's the guy to look out for. Um, Walt Bell said today that you know while Tavon Jacobs hasn't you know played in in any games in quite a while, he's played a lot of football. Um, so you know he's he's a guy who's been at Maryland for for several years at this point and and you know he's been injured but he's he's got a lot of experience under his belt and he's a guy who can who can really kind of take the top off a of defense um and, and just kind of stretch you out and open up those underneath patterns for you know for a slot receiver or running back out of the backfield or a tight end out of the seam whatever um he's he's a guy who can who can really you know, kick it into another gear and, and get down the field. Um, so that's, I mean, the known quantities that are really there. Um, Jaquiel Vey, I guess it'll be interesting to see how he produces after, you know, playing kind of, you know, running back and in the slot at Maryland and then going to Towson and then sitting out a year and now coming back. He's kind of a, a more kind of shifty guy. He's kind of a guy you want to get the ball kind of in his hands and let him do something with it after that. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. And and like I said, you know, about the depth chart going into the Towson game might be completely different. It'll be interesting to see how that group, you know, what the, what the starters are in that group going forward and, and, you know, moving out through this year. There's a lot of player. I think Maryland's offense is a lot of predicated on players who you just want to see them when they get the ball in their hands. They don't have a lot of deep threats, and we don't know if Tyrell Pigram can throw the deep ball yet. Maryland quarterbacks of the past have not been able to throw the deep ball. So a lot of it is getting players underneath, getting them in spaces, and seeing what they can do. And it'll be interesting to see if that's how Maryland's offense operates in the passing game, too. I would expect you don't see them going deep a lot just to get Tyrell Pigram comfortable in a very difficult environment early on. But the wide receiver group, lots of interesting players there. And I think you're going to see a lot outside of DJ Moore, too, but Moore is going to be the guy that other teams will key in on. Thomas, the offensive line, it's not an area of weakness anymore. I remember when I came to school, it was an area of a lot of problems, and that's not the case anymore. Lots of experience there. No seniors, I believe, are starting on the offensive line, which is pretty amazing. And yet... This is a group we find is very experienced, very talented, and could be one of the strengths of the team again. Oh, for sure. Um, they returned three starters in Brendan Moore, Terrence Davis, Damian Prince. And the two new guys are, again, this is one of those, we won't know for sure until we see them, but everything we've heard about them is you know, that they've improved a lot. Uh, that Like like Derwin Gray, who we, we did see a lot of, of him last year. Um, and apparently he's become some sort of a new player which i imagine would be a good a better player i, I i'm sure that's i don't think what they'd they say need. it if he became worse to be honest they wouldn't say it if he became worse because he wouldn't be starting we wouldn't be talking about him at all True. yeah and then you know sean christie really uh took that other spot you know that left guard spot and so it, yeah they're, they're all you know promising and they're all if we don't know what they're getting if we don't know what we're getting in them, uh, then we're at least optimistic about it. Uh, the the backups for that for on this line are also pretty young. You know, a bunch of freshmen like Jordan Nair, Marcus Minor, um, Johnny Jordan, backing up more at center. 
Um, so, so, you know, we're not a hundred percent like sure about, you know, the depth just yet, but it's, it's a strong group for sure. Well, because all of these players, most of them at least, were incredibly highly rated recruits. And it's something that even under Randy Edsel, Maryland was recruiting really well. They found a way to get offensive linemen to come to this school, and they bulked up there. And that's incredibly important. And Ryan, for a Maryland team that is used to giving up a lot of sacks, even though this offensive line doesn't have any seniors and still is transitioning a little bit, it's still an incredibly strong unit. And when they moved to the Big Ten... It was talked about how they needed to build from the lines out, and the offensive line was really the first area that even the past regime centered on. And now we're seeing the fruits of that. And for a team that for years and years and years never had a great offensive line, now they do. It's quite an interesting dynamic twist that we've seen in the last couple of years. And now you don't worry as much about that unit, especially when you have players at the skill positions that Maryland does who do really well with the ball in their hands. Well, I think, yeah, the offensive line, um, I mean, I think we might be overselling it a little bit. It's, look, they were solid against the run or, you know, blocking for the run. And the pass, the pass protection thing is always iffy because none of us are really qualified enough to know when the, when it's truly the offensive line's fault, when it's, you know, when it's the quarterback, when it's the running back and tight end and things like that. But Maryland... I mean, they were looking at Bill Connolly's stats. Passing down sack rate, they were the worst team in the country, which is how not How much good. of that is Perry Hills and how much of that, you know, like that's that's where I understand completely we don't know because how much of it is the O-line, how much of it is a quarterback who's holding on for the ball too long, how much of it's other factors. I think it'll be a little bit different this year because it's the second year of an offensive scheme. But I can understand your qualms, but with all these highly rated recruits and now two years plus in a system for most of them, you can expect a little bit of improvement in that area, right? I'm, I'm definitely expecting improvement. Um, yeah, it's just that we don't, we don't necessarily know. But yeah, I, I'm expecting improvement and it'll just be, you know, again, this year with a guy like Pigram, you probably get a little, uh, you know, the sack numbers will be not necessarily completely representative because he's a guy who's going to be able to make some plays with his legs which means inevitably that sometimes that will end in sacks, but I'm sure it'll be it'll be worth it enough that that's fine. Um, I I think it will be interesting. I remember when we were all projecting the depth chart, we figured Quarvez Bolware would slide in at left guard. Or actually, we probably thought Mike Minter was going to stay at left guard. Then he decided he was graduating in four years, was was done with football, wanted to stay healthy, which is pretty understandable. And then Quarvez Bolware ended up transferring. So Sean Christie is the guy who, you know, none of us, I'm not a, I'm not a guy who's going to sit here and pretend I know how to evaluate an offensive lineman really at all. Um, but he, you know, he's the one, uh, I don't know if unproven is the word you want to use, but he, he would be that, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line, it's this really we've we said this last year, but it should be true that, you know, this is the position they've recruited at the best in the past four to five years. And yeah, I think looking into it, it should be the year it all it all comes together. We said that last year, but I yeah, there's no reason to think it shouldn't they shouldn't be better this year. I thought last year with had with having the extenuating circumstances of scheme change and quarterback who holds the ball a lot and maybe tried to make too many plays that felt to be part of it, but now 
Now I think there's more expectations on them, as rightfully there should be, because offensive line recruiting is still fantastic, and there are even more of them coming into the program. Thomas, we need to start on the defense with a couple of notable things, the first of which are the suspensions in the secondary, which is going to make a unit we thought was going to be pretty deep, a lot less deep, and a wild Shane Cockrell has appeared. So the first thing isn't the number changes? Uh, we could get to that later. <laughs> Uh, I, I barely so, noticed the so, numbers, and I'm not calling the game, so it's not something I'm paying attention to too much. So there is one player who uh, actually switched away from single-digit number. Uh, Shane Cockrell was number two his whole Maryland career. He's number 18 now because he's on defense. And Max Fortenschlager has it on offense. And that's allowed to be a thing. Um, so so Cockrell is, is back. Um, he, was, he was academically ineligible for the bowl game. He was apparently not with the team for some time. I I actually still don't know how much of his his situation this whole time has been uh, eligibility versus, you know, like needing to actually shape up and be a better part of the team. So I don't know how much of that is like, you know, how much of the pressure on him to get even to get back to where he was was grades imposed versus coaches imposed and it sounds just from the coaches talking like it was, you know, they needed him to be, you know, a better student athlete and make better decisions day to day, whatever that even means. But um, whatever the case is, you know, now he's, so he worked his way back onto the team and then he worked his way back into the starting lineup. Um, and so, you know, in a system that, that only has two linebackers, you know, you're really going to need you know, those two linebackers to be solid. And for, for a chunk of last year, Cockerell and Jermaine Carter were solid. They they weren't completely consistent, though. So uh, if Maryland's going to hang with Texas, they'll need both of them to be that. And to the suspensions in the secondary, to a couple of players we thought might play a big role, but aren't now, evidently. Yeah, um, that is, those are Marquise Bell and Alex Woods. Uh both guys who enrolled early. Uh, Bell was a four-star freshman. Alex Woods, a, a redshirt junior, actually, from from community college. So, yeah, we, we still don't really know what the deal is there um, or how long they'll be out. But it does it does kind of trim the, the secondary a little bit. I still um, think that's one of Maryland's deeper positions. Because they've even then brought in guys like Antoine Brooks, so they they played some at linebacker last year because they needed depth there. Uh, he was like mostly a safety in high school, and now he's playing nickel. And so, you know, guys like that, they still have they still have Darnell Savage back. Denzel Conyers, I don't I I don't know if we'll see him this weekend. Uh, Quantrez Knight took a step up. Um, you know, the Daniels twins took a step up. So. There, there's still a lot in the secondary um, that if Bell and Woods are only gone for a little while, then I, I don't think it'll be too much to overcome. Certainly seems to be. And on the Conyers front, he is listed on the two deep. And if he wasn't healthy enough, I don't think he would have been listed on the two deep. So maybe we see him. Obviously, he's not going to start. But having him back would help a lot because he was, he was one of their bigger injuries misses that they had last season outside of the Will Likelys of the world. And he's somebody that would really offer a lot of veteran assistance to a secondary. That, that's got plenty of veteran experience in it, but 
And there's still a lot of young players, and Conyers has been around, so it would be good to see him coming back. Jared, now up to other parts of the defense. How about the defensive line? And some players returning, lots of veteran experience there. It's all seniors. Jesse Anna Bonham's back. King Leo Park, Kayvon Walker, Chandler Burkett, they're all seniors. It's a veteran group. Last year, they didn't rush the passer nearly as well as we thought they would, and that had been one of the few things that Maryland defenses had done very well in the years when they were bad. Uh, what are we expecting from the defensive line this year, considering everybody's a senior and there's a ton of veteran experience there? Uh, I think the starting four uh, that you touched on, Burkett, Opar, Walker, and Annabonum, um, will be fairly solid. Um, I still think as a group, they're a little bit undersized. Uh, that's something that you know, at times they've shown they could deal with and at times has been a huge liability. Uh, I think that beyond those four, there's just a whole lot of, I don't know, uh, going on there. Um, there are, you know, a bunch of sophomores and, you know, I guess a, a junior or two that doesn't have a whole lot of playing time um, and, and a couple freshmen there. So the defensive line, I would imagine, you know, just with another year with, with Rick Court, you know, the strength and conditioning coach getting, you know, getting all the guys juiced up, as he likes to say, um, in a non-steroidal way, I would imagine. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think that that should probably help. You know, you can see that some of these guys are, are heavier than they were last year. So, you know, that should help, I guess, you know, a little bit, at least with, you know, hopefully not getting pushed around by opposing Big Ten offensive lines. But, you know, four defensive linemen can't play the entire game. So, you know, when those other guys have to rotate in and give the starters a breather here and there, um, I, I think that's really where if there's any difference to be made in any ground to be picked up, um, that's where you'll see the difference uh, is, is with the depth and how the second and third string guys play when they have to come in to spell the starters. So who do you think are going to be the best depth options on the defensive line in terms of taking snaps? I mean, there are names that people will know in terms of like Brett Kolka and Mb Tine, Melvin Kane, lots of players like that who have been around but haven't been not standouts, but they've they've been around and Maryland fans will know their name. It's assumed that that's where a lot of the spell snaps, in a way to put it, are going to come from on the defensive line. And in a lot of ways, I think the biggest problem, and I'll get to Ryan with this in a second, the problem with Maryland's defense last year was at times it just didn't look athletic enough to deal with what other teams were throwing at them. And that was really, really evident in the big games. But it was even evident in some cases in the games against the Minnesotas and the Indianas of the world where they just didn't seem to have that athleticism in the first of the front seven. Do you think that that's better this year than it was last year? And do they have enough to compete more on that level in the Big Ten than they have in the past? No, I mean, I think I think what you're seeing with, I mean, at least on the recruiting front, that, that Durkin and the staff are recruiting, you know, these big guys who are big and fast guys who are fast. Um, so, you know, I, I think what that'll do, um, and you may not see it a ton this year, you'll probably see a little bit more of it than in the past, um, is, you know, the line will probably be a little more stout. Uh, you probably won't see as much of the line getting pushed back, you know, two yards off the ball at the snap. Um, you know, so 
but but I guess to answer the the very first part of your question, who of those depth guys do you think um, you, you know will see a lot of who who will maybe become more familiar uh, to fans? I think that Buck position uh, where Jesse Annabonum is the starter and Melvin Kane and Bryce Brand, who's a freshman, are backing him up. I, I think that that's a position that could really be a strength for Maryland. I'd be interested to see if there's some kind of passing down package where, you know, two of them are on the field at the same time to rush the passer. Um, and, and, you know, they're standing up, maybe not even necessarily both on the ends of the line, you know, somebody goes and stands, you know, over the, the B gap or even the A gap and, and you kind of just, you know, go from there and rush the passer um, from wherever. Um, I think that could be kind of interesting. And I think something else that'll be interesting to see is, one of my high school classmates, um, Adam McLean at Nose Tackle, um, he has he still played. exists. He does still exist. I mean, he was the highest rated recruit in the class of 2015 for Maryland, um, and so it, you know I, it would just be interesting to see. You know, he's finally cracked the two deep, and it looks like he'll finally get his his shot at playing this year. Um, it'd be interesting to see. You know, he hasn't played a competitive. I guess he had a couple snaps in the Howard game last year, but he hasn't really, you know, seen any extended competitive snaps in, gosh, it's got to be, what, three years at this point, for almost four years. So, you know, it's been a while. Ryan, to get to my point about uh, the athleticism of the defense, which I think last year was the biggest problem, and as I said, not only was it evident in the games against the big teams, the Ohio States, the Michigans, and the Penn States of the world, it was really, it was evident, too, in smaller games against other teams said like Indiana's and Minnesota's and times where they just looked a step off that has to improve because of how brutal their schedule is otherwise they're going to get run over by a lot of good teams and other teams in that middle of the pack are going to test them so do you think with all the changes that we've seen in defense everybody's got an extra year in the system do you think we're going to see that defense become a little bit more athletic and get that step back that they didn't seem to have last year at times I think you're dealing with most of the same players on that front seven, front six, whatever you want to call it. And I think it'll be, yeah, it'll be a little bit better. Um, I still think, you know, it takes more than one recruiting class in one year to improve something like that. And, yeah, I mean, if you take all the same guys from last year, Say what you will, I'm sure, you know, Coach Court's uh, strength and conditioning program have been getting these guys into good shape, but you don't all of a sudden make everyone from last year a whole lot faster, and I think that's that's a problem that's not not easy to fix. Mm-hmm. Do you think that we could see it at times this year, or is it something that's just going to maybe be slightly improved upon, and it might take until next year or the year after before it's not really a big problem anymore? Yeah, I think it'll be, I mean... I'm sure they'll look good sometimes. Um, I think you'll still see something like what you saw last year, um, but it'll it'll depend. And I mean, it's it's going to be tough no matter who they're trotting out there against the schedule that Maryland's got this year. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not usually that neg- this negative on the podcast. I think, and it's probably because that's my I'm, job. Probably because I'm not I'm not covering the team anymore, but. Um, not that I won't still be watching the games, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's a tough ask if you're trying to get all the same guys from last year and just all of a sudden have them be 
completely different. Uh, that said, you know, I'm sure there's something to be said for being second year in the same scheme. I'm going to sit here and say a lot of things, but until you see them play, you never know what's going to happen, I guess. This is, this is true. So now I'm going to get into your purview, which is the rest of the Big Ten, particularly the Big Ten East. And forget Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, because they're in another league. But in terms of the teams that are around them, the Michigan State, who had a just terrible year last year, Indiana, who has a new coach, and Rutgers, who is Rutgers, you know, Maryland, if they, ha- if they want to make a bowl game, Presumably, they're going to have to beat all three of these teams in order to get there. And I don't know if that's possible because they got really lucky that Michigan State fell off the face of the earth last year. And on another day, they probably could have beaten Indiana, but they didn't. So of that, the rest of the Big Ten East, Ryan, is Mar- where does Maryland fall in your mind now that you know more about these teams in and out as compared to when you were just sort of covering Maryland and dropped in on these teams when Maryland played them? Well, I mean, it's... It is a lot different now that I – you sort of get – whenever you're a beat writer, you're sort of in a bubble almost or like you have to devote so much time to writing and editing and doing all this stuff about the one team. And for me, I hadn't really followed college football in general that much before probably two years ago. Um, I've definitely learned a lot more. I mean it's – you can only learn so many specific things until you watch all the team – until – other teams play just because a lot can change from year to year. Um, my the weirdest thing to me is I swear I never remember that Indiana's in the Big Ten East. It's just, <laughs> it's how just how not, does that happen? I don't know. I definitely my first year covering the team in 2015. I did not know Indiana was in the Big Ten East. I think I didn't know that entire season. Um, uh, but now I you know did you mix them up with Purdue? I don't think so. But, uh, you know, I, I safely have that now in my brain, so that's good. And it's just – it's kind of depressing from Maryland's point of view because Ohio State is just ridiculous this year. Penn State, you know, some of my a lot of my coworkers went to Penn State. They, some of them are pretty lukewarm on Penn State this year. Uh, everyone, the Michigan thing – like, if Maryland can't beat Michigan this year – and, I mean, that's still a huge, giant ask for Maryland this year. I mean, Michigan next year is just going to be unbelievable. And as long as Jim Harbaugh is the coach there, it's it's going to be – the Big Ten East is just so stacked. And So do you think that they can be the best of the rest this year, or is that coming more next year? Because it might not be possible this year, but how they're recruiting and how the momentum of the program is shaping up, they could easily be the best of the rest next year and potentially beat one of those other three teams that are in another league. Yeah, right. And if you're, if you're Maryland, you're essentially, if you're a realistic Maryland person and being a real, realistic fan of any team is rare, but um, I feel True. like you, you know, you could be better than Michigan State, you can be better than Indiana, you can be better than Rutgers, obviously. Although that's not like I don't know about it. Um, so you can better than those teams. That's at least something. As long as you are lurking around the other three, any one year something crazy can happen. But it is a it is a big ask. It's it's nothing that happens overnight. I guess basically is the is, is the lesson. But uh, Big Ten should be fun this year at least. I mean. All the coaching hires that people have done have seemed pretty good. Even Purdue, which was the most boring school ever, <laughs> beat by 
last year. Purdue hired Jeff Brom. He's really cool. Yes, I have to is. do. I have to do occasional Facebook lives on Purdue for my job this year, so stay tuned for that. Oh boy! Uh, well, you get to watch Lamar Jackson on Saturday night. That's fun. Yeah, that'll be cool. Um, and it. And, I don't know. and of course, they're rowing the boat in Minnesota too, and we all of love course. rowing the boat. And I don't know. For me, this year will just be kind of exciting. I mean, going to games is really fun, and being a reporter covering a team is really cool. Um, but it will be cool for me just to – I'll be in the office, and Saturday I just so – we have a couple TVs, and I just watch all of the football games all day. That sounds and like a good job to me. If one game is bad, I just watch another game instead. And that, that will be – that will be exciting. I'll get to absorb a little bit of the whole – the whole enchilada of college football. This is, this is true. And I think the other reason why we might be a touch more down on Maryland this year than we might be in future years is because they didn't get helped with their crossover games. At Minnesota, I mean, they played horribly against Minnesota at home last year, and they were a bit of an unknown quantity with P.J. Fleck. At Wisconsin, forget about it. And Northwestern's a good team, but Maryland's going to get them at home. But again, this isn't, you know, you get Purdue. That's a gimme. Or you get Illinois, Maryland should win that game. You know, they got probably the three toughest opponents that they could have gotten in the Big Ten West, and that does not help them. Definitely. Okay, so now we'll go to more of overall predictions, and we'll bring Thomas and Jared back in here. The schedule for Maryland, as we have said before, and we will say again, is just absolutely awful. Uh, Texas, of course, then Towson, bye week, and an early bye week I don't think suits them great. UCF will be an interesting team, but they beat them on the road last year, even though it took overtime. They should be pretty well favored to beat them at home. And then at Minnesota, at Ohio State, good luck with that. Home to Northwestern, at Wisconsin, good luck with that. Home against Indiana in the mustard uniforms. Against Rutgers at Yankee Stadium, which I might be going to, which will be quite an experience. Then uh, home to Michigan, at Michigan State, and then home to Penn State. It is not a fun schedule. Maryland finished 6-6 six and six last year, Thomas, by beating all of the teams that they were better than and pretty much getting hammered by the teams that were better than them, aside from Indiana, who beat them in a close game, and Maryland just having everything go wrong against Minnesota. Six is what it takes to get a bowl game. I like to be optimistic and think there's a pretty good chance that they can get six, but they are going to have to win a game that some of us don't think that they can win right now in order to get to six. If you assume that they're going to win three, Towson... UCF, and then Rutgers. They have to win three of the other games if you assume that Texas, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are all automatic losses. And that's got to be really difficult because we didn't feel that way about their schedule last year because it was a lot easier. Yes. So here we... Um, I, I looked at it, and I, I, keep, I kept thinking to myself, if you look at this year's schedule, last year's Maryland team wins four games. And maybe, maybe drop that down to three if Michigan State's way better. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the baseline here, and I think the baseline's there. there. You have to beat the not Texas out of conference teams, and you have to beat Rutgers. Beyond that, who knows? Beating UCF's yeah. not not going to be easy. No, it's yeah. not going to be easy. But they're at home, and that's a team that they beat last year. They should be able to beat them this year, and they will be favored. So that's why I'm saying that's a game that they should win. Other than that, I don't think there are any games that they should win on this schedule. That's all. Yeah, that's 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 why it's as tricky as it is. Yeah, um, I mean, but even know, UCF, to, like they're not really that they're going to be big favorites against UCF at all. Like that'll be it's going to be tough. Yeah, a touchdown yeah, favorite. That's good enough for me. Yeah. So between 
between those three, and then you have Michigan State, who they beat last year. Um, That's on the road. Indiana comes to College Park. Northwestern comes to College Park. Um, yeah, it, it's those are the games that suddenly you have to win, and those are the teams that are kind of as good as Maryland is. And I think and so, Minnesota away falls into the realm of possibility, even if it's not likely, whereas the other five don't. So if you consider that, you have basically, of those games, you have one time you could screw up, or otherwise you're not making a bowl game. And that's a tough ask for this team, even though on paper it's probably better than it was a year ago. Yes. So where do you think their record's going to fall this year? Do you think they get to six? which maybe requires them pulling off a soft upset in some ways, or are they going to be in the 4-5 range and we're going to be left at the end of the season telling people, the team really did improve, it's just they had the worst schedule in the world, so you couldn't see that. All right, here's, here's my new favorite prediction in the world. Uh, Maryland is going bowling this year with a 5-7 and seven record. That, you know yeah. what? I could see that happening. Yes. I'm proud of you for that prediction. I don't feel like I can make it because... It's one of those. It's one of those predictions where it's like, oh, you, you won in a shootout. Congratulations, NHL team. Your record is very much inflated by winning a skills competition. You know that sort of thing. But I could easily see that happening because I don't know about the rest of FBS. But I get the sense there will be a couple five to seven teams in bowl games this year. Maybe Ryan, yes, you know more Maryland, about that. And Maryland's APR scores were good. Oh, that's so, good. So once once I got those, once I saw that, I was looking at it like. Okay, if there's going to be a couple five-win teams in bowls like there always are, Maryland has a really good chance to be one of those. I'll, I'll do one up and, on that prediction. Maryland goes five and seven, makes a bowl game, and actually wins one. Yeah, yeah, I'm so going that. Would with that would be weird. So where uh, are the wins that you think that Maryland's coming? If we assume, rightly or wrongly, that they're beating Towson, Rutgers, and UCF, where are the other two wins coming? Oh, man. Uh, Indiana. And I think I'll go Northwestern maybe for the other one. I, I can see that. I think Indiana is the most likely out of the rest of the. Jared, you've been quiet for a while. Where do you see Maryland's record falling this year? Uh, I think that my my gut tells me that DJ Durkin is some kind of sorcerer wizard guy. I think you stole um, that from one of our podcast titles of the past where we said DJ Durkin is a wizard. Well, I would love that to be the case. If that turns out to be true, someone's going to have be, to go it check. It would be really that. awesome. Um, so anyway, I'd, I'd be happy for that to be the case. But anyway, um, I think that he find you know he he somehow you know finds a way to to coach his team to you know grip and claw their way to six wins in the regular season. Um, if I know the next question is going to be, where do you find six wins? Yeah. Um, I don't really know, to be honest with you guys. Um, I mean, you know, if it, you're going to go ahead and count. It's hard to figure these out because outside of the three that we think are practically Maryland wins, you can argue how practical they are and you're on your own time. But all of them are tough games because Maryland lost to a couple of them last year. The other team in Michigan State is going to be should be better, and that game will be on the road. And Northwestern, Northwestern's a good football team, despite the screw-up they had in the opening week last year. They're a good team. So it's tough. 
And again, when you erase Purdue, when you erase Michigan State being a dumpster fire, that takes away a lot of margin for error for your team. Yeah, it does. And and I think, you know, Ryan might have a better idea here, you know, covering the whole Big Ten, but and and he can check me on this in a second, but I don't know that Michigan State is guaranteed to just turn it around and be an eight, nine, ten win team again this season. Um, it seemed like that in any way. I just think that they won't be a dumpster fire. Like they could get back to six, not you know, the, whatever the heck happened last year, where the only team yeah. they beat convincingly was Rutgers. That's that's true. Yeah, you know, but I mean, I, I think if Michigan State is going to be a five or six win team, and so is Maryland, then you know, maybe that game isn't you know, for sure a loss. Um, I don't so, think it's for sure a loss, and I, I don't know, if Ryan, if you agree with me, but if, if Michigan State is as good as Maryland is and that game's on the road for the Terps, don't you have to give Michigan State a slight edge? That game's by no means – I think that game will be very, very interesting. Um, You're the only person who has said that, by the way. Michigan State is a total question mark. They've kicked off so many kids with their sexual assault scandal and – uh, I mean, judging mostly from reading Bill Connolly's preview of the team, which I'll just read you the title of it. Michigan State had a rebuilding year record. Now it enters an actual rebuilding year. So they could they could end up more close to six and six. They could, you know, they were three and nine last year, and they could be somewhere around, you know, there four and eight. This this year is not out of the question. I haven't looked at their schedule, um, but I will do that for you. They, you know, Michigan State should be, that should be a competitive game, I would imagine. It's a uh, winnable game. If it's at Michigan State, I imagine Michigan State enters um, without knowing what's going to happen this season, which mm-hmm. is stupid. Um, so here, here's their schedule. Touchdown like, favorite, Yes. Bowling Green, Western Michigan, no more rowing the boat there. Notre Dame, who the heck knows what Notre Dame's going to be. Iowa at home, at Michigan, at Minnesota, Indiana, at Northwestern, Penn State, at Ohio State, Maryland. Uh, at Rutgers. So they actually have two of the same crossover opponents that Maryland does, which is quite interesting when you think about it. They play Northwestern and Minnesota, and they have two presumably winnable games and out of conference, and then Notre Dame, who the heck knows. So, I mean, what do you, what, what, now that you know more about the Big Ten, what does that say? I mean, because Indiana's in the same boat, really, with Maryland, and then Rutgers is a little notch below that. Well, there's a universe in which Rutgers gets six wins. I've been told that by people who like Rutgers a way lot more than I do. I would love to meet some of those people, but oh, um, I can introduce you to them when I come down to Atlanta in October. They, I'm thinking, I mean. So, if you had to predict the order yeah. of those final four teams in the Big Ten East as we sit here right now, what would your order be? All right, and my, I might as well just go from the top. If I'm doing Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Then probably Indiana. It depends. Like I'm ranking them just on quality. I don't know what their records end up being this year, but uh, then I might put because you're putting you want to put Maryland there. I might put Maryland over Michigan State. Um, Michigan State is a considerable lead if you're looking at uh, Bill Connolly's S and P Plus, but I don't think that really factors in enough the just nightmare of an offseason and last season that they had. They still have L.J. Scott. Brian Lewerke seemed okay as a quarterback. I don't know. And, yeah, it's – they are a – they're, they're going to be starting a lot of young people, and it's going to be interesting. I also, like, 
you know, I feel bad when you guys keep saying, Ryan, you've covered the whole Big Ten. I still haven't covered them during football season yet, so. Well, you are going to. It'll be a baptism by fire. Yeah, no, it'll be, and that'll be fun. You know, when I'm thinking about the, when I'm going into next year, I think I'll have a good idea. Once I've just watched every team every Saturday, but or every Big Ten team at least. But, um, you know, Indiana I'd put in front of Maryland. Then, you know, Maryland, Michigan State, kind of whatever. Rutgers definitely behind them. And, yeah, it'll be – it's weird because no one ever grades that part of the conference because that's never the part ever anyone ever cares about. Well, it's the part that we care about, so we, we have to say it. Now I'll ask you this. Do you think Maryland gets to six? Or do you – we're going to go with the Thomas scenarios. I'm going to call it for the rest of the season and goes five and seven but makes a bowl game because FBS is stupid. Um, so I do not think Maryland's getting to six this year. However, if they were to do so, here's how it's going to go. Um, I mean, if they beat Texas, that'd be ridiculous. They would have beaten their first ranked team in seven years, and it would have been in Tom Herman's first game, which would be totally and utterly hilarious. And And then would probably never get, and at that point, if they beat Texas, they are getting to six. Well, I think they could definitely beat Texas and not get to six. I don't. I'm not sure about that. Because I mean, I mean, preseason rankings are garbage, and they don't mean anything outside of really the top ten because there's so much change that will happen. But I don't really see much of a universe in which Maryland goes on the road to DKR Memorial Stadium in Austin, beats Texas, and then somehow doesn't get to six wins. Um, I can see that just because you are, and I don't think Maryland's going to beat Texas, but when you have a team. First game, new coach. You do, you just don't know what's going to happen. And yeah, the preseason rankings had Texas, I think, at number twenty three. Twenty three. Uh, S and B Plus has them at sixteen for what that's worth. Um, but again, preseason projections. Who knows? Um, but just because they beat a good team one week doesn't mean that they'd end up being a good team. I guess would be small sample size. A lot of teams win games they shouldn't and then end up being not that good. But I don't know. The only, say- the only counter-argument I have to that is that last year Maryland beat the stuffing out of everybody that they should have beaten and couldn't beat anybody that was better than them. And if that's the baseline, then if Maryland pulls off an upset, sure, the universe might realign at some point. But I, I don't there – and because there are not many games in which Maryland are going to be clear favorites, there aren't many chances for them to slip up in gimmies. You know what I mean? Maybe they slip up in more than one of the games in these situations where we think that they're sort of toss-ups. But in that way, if Maryland beats Texas, I'll go on the record and say they'll get to six. Um, at least, so what are you going to say when they beat Texas and lose to UCF? Oh, that would be the stupidest thing ever, and it would be very Maryland to happen, and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I, could, I feel like it could totally – I mean, if if they beat Texas, it's there's still – they could still totally lose to UCF. I don't know. but here's that, That's the, true. But DJ Durkin's teams didn't gag at home last year in games that they were supposed to, you know, not screw up in. All the games small, at home that they needed to win, they won. Small sample size, though. But here's, here's if they are getting to six, here's how I think they do it. Towson, obviously, they beat UCF. Let's see. They I think they'd have, to, they'd have to beat Minnesota on the road, which will not be easy. Mm. And... Fun thing about Minnesota this year is that they they could they could go seven and zero in their first seven games, and because they just don't play anyone, and then everyone's going to be talking about them. It'll be it'll be something to keep an eye on. 
but they would have to be Indiana, Rutgers, and then yeah. Michigan. I could definitely see that. You're right. Their first seven so, games are a joke. So, but uh, and and this is all. This is uh, I'm just talking about Maryland on this. And when I look at Maryland's schedule more, I can almost talk myself into six wins. But they'd have to win every game that they might be able to win, and I that's just not going to happen. I think realistically, if I were to go, I would say they'd the wins would come against Towson, UCF. Rutgers and Michigan State, and I think that would be all that you're seeing. So you only go for four, then? I think I think I'm only seeing four, just because I could see them lose to UCF. Yeah, that's that's you know I could see them beating Indiana. Probably not going to beat Northwestern. A lot of people are high on Northwestern this year. Um, that that game hosting Penn State Thanksgiving weekend. Could be I mean, what happens if Penn State's out of it by then, and they can't win the Big Ten, and Michigan-Ohio State's going on at the same time? What, um, what happens at that point if Penn State I fails to meet it, expectations, and then they get caught in a trap game like this? Defense. What happened? You you lost your con- commentary there. Can you repeat it? I think you'd still get Saquon Barkley against uh, Maryland. So that, that, that could be rough. Yeah, that could be rough. I will stick my neck out, as I did last year when I said they could finish 7-5 and five, and they ended up winning 6. I'll say that they'll end up going 6-6. Six and six. The wins that they'll get are the obvious ones, plus I think they'll beat Indiana at home. I think they'll beat Michigan State, and I don't know. I think they'll beat Northwestern because they this team under DJ Durkin, when it wasn't against Ohio State, they looked pretty good at home. And I think this year there might be more of a crowd for games at Maryland Stadium than there were last year. I think there's going to be a little more optimism about the team, a little more buzz. That, that, I don't know. Be, that should be something you guys look into for sure. It's just the, like, halfway through the season, oh, are more people showing up? Because I, I would I be mean, interested. Beyond, I mean, but last year they only had Ohio State as big teams go to show up. This year they'll have Michigan and Penn State in November, and those will bring in fans. And I, I think that it could happen. I think that this team will end up building up buzz as the season goes on, if they give Texas a run for their money, though, that could easily happen a lot sooner than we think. Uh, so I'll go for six, but I think what's most likely is the Thomas prediction that they will go to five and seven and make a bowl game because FBS is stupid and their APR is high enough. I'll go. I'll go with that as my official prediction. Although my optimistic prediction is is six and six. So quickly uh, before we go, because this podcast has been very long, but it has been very entertaining and very enlightening. Thomas, how do you think things are going to go against Texas on Saturday? Uh, well, I think they, they give them a run, um, but probably fall you know, a score or two short. I don't uh, know what the I, line I, is, but I, I should take I'm a look seeing at that. 18. I'm seeing 18. I think 18. they can cover that. I think, I think there's I a think world in which cover. they cover that. Jared, I think they think, cover 18 but lose. I, that would be totally acceptable for me. Jared, what do you think Maryland does against Texas? I think... That's going to be a really close game through the first two quarters uh, for the first half. Um, it's it's really hard for me to kind of predict how that'll go with you know Texas obviously having you know a new head coach and a new system and you know having frankly underperformed for quite some time with the amount of talent 
pure talent they have With on their the roster. With the talent that they have and the fact that they lost Kansas last year should tell you everything you need to know. Right. So, so I mean, I, I guess that's where part of this is coming from. I think there's um, almost – and I don't want to be that you know way too optimistic homer on the podcast, whatever. But I'm getting to the point where I just convinced myself that Maryland wins the game because I haven't seen them play football in eight, nine months at this point. And so I'm just like, yeah, they're going to win because whatever. Because Maryland. Um, well, I, you know, I don't have a, a statistic to back it up or whatever. I just convinced myself that it's going to happen. So do I think in reality that'll happen? Probably not. But is there a chance? Yes. And I think that if you were a, a betting man that you should take the, those, what is it, 17 and a half, 18 and a half points um, and, and take Maryland to cover for sure. Absolutely. I, I, we are not betting people on this podcast, but I would say if I could give you advice, I'd take Maryland to cover. That line's a little high for my very not good betting liking. And Ryan, we'll end it on this. Uh, what do you think Maryland does against Texas on Sunday? Do you think they keep it competitive? Do you think they cover the spread? I just said Sunday. I meant Saturday. They played on Sunday last year, opening week. Do you think that Maryland is going to keep it competitive for Tex- with Texas? Guys, I, I, I keep running over every scenario. I like I can envision Maryland getting absolutely rocked by Texas because no one knows what Texas is, and then everyone goes, Tom Herman is the best coach ever. Then I also just think about, I don't know, Piggy and Ty Johnson just running read option all over everyone for four, four straight quarters. I like this scenario um, better. And, yeah, I imagine – I think Maryland does – Cover still loses by about two touchdowns. Um, whether that's whether that's a you know late cover or a nice nice great or, backdoor cover that'll get on SVP's bad beats because Maryland's involved, or or a cl- just a close uh, you know close enough game throughout. I really don't know. Yeah, it'll be it'll be weird because when I think about it too much, I can really talk to myself into Maryland's offense. When you have Maryland's, you know. Great stable of running backs. You have the receivers who I'm pretty high on. With, I mean, we've already gone over them, but I mean, DJ Moore is a guy. Since you've only watched Maryland play for a long time, I mean, he's been really good. And then Tavon, who committed to Ohio State before flipping to Maryland, and Jaquille Vey, who seems really good. And then you say the offensive line is good. You're like, well, that's most of the players who play for Maryland's offense. And if, you know, Pigum can be exciting, then, you know, maybe Maryland puts some points up there. Uh, and then there's also me who watched Maryland play last year. <laughs> the- yeah, against good teams. Um, so, yeah. Since I am a – I, I love cold takes, it'll be somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm going to go with 44-27 Texas. I don't know whether it's a backdoor cover or Maryland is just within two touchdowns the entire game, but I think Texas is too much of an unknown at this point to really be in gear yet, and I think Maryland has demonstrative talent deficiencies and issues, but they have exciting players, and DJ Durkin, with another year with this program, they're not going to get totally destroyed by good teams like they did last year when they had no shot. So, I don't know. I, I expect a game... Kind of like, as I said, 
And as I was going to mention before, there was a time in which Ohio State, when they won the national championship in 2014, was coming to Maryland. They had lost at home to Virginia Tech, and Maryland was looking good. And we all thought, you know what? I could talk myself into a universe in which Maryland is beating Ohio State. And they got a 50-spot-plus hung up on them. So, I don't know. That, that That's Maryland football. But it's just happy to have the football season back and... We're back to weekly podcasts, and Ryan is back on the show, and Thomas, we're doing a show with more than just you and I, and that's great, and we're going to have so much fun this season. Even if it's talking about a team that's growing but still getting their butts kicked, it's a Maryland football team that we are wildly optimistic about because we know that the future seems pretty bright. Absolutely. Yep. Jared, it has been wonderful to hear your voice again on this show. Thanks for having me back, Matt. And we will have you back more. And Ryan, you'll pop in on this show every now and again because we'll need some clarity when we have to go to other people to talk about the Big Ten because we won't know enough. Well, hopefully I somehow will. You will. You're a smart enough journalist. You can figure it out. I have complete and total faith in you. And you're going to be in a room on Saturdays with a bunch of people who know quite a lot about the Big Ten and college football. So I'm fully – I'm fully – anticipating you providing great analysis and thoughts throughout the season. This is a long show. Thank you so much for listening to everybody who's stuck around to this point. Enjoy the season. Go Terps against Texas, of course. Hopefully better things happen than we all expect them to. And now that the show's back to weekly shows, we'll be back next week recapping Texas, talking about Towson, and getting into a bunch of other things that have happened throughout Maryland sports recent times, including, unfortunately we don't have enough time to talk about it, one of the best own goals in soccer I've ever seen. Testudo Times has that gift for you, which you need to watch over and over and over again. But until then, of course, go Terps.